Stop the presses. We're here with some breaking news. Uh, Tana Grace here for MTG Rants, joined by Ross Merriam, as always. Ross, uh, were you a little surprised when you woke up this morning to some uh, thrilling news that Luris the Dream Den is banned in Pioneer and Modern? About 12 hours after our podcast talking about it, that it should be banned, went live. Uh, you know, surprised, yes. Happy, yes. Impressed at our ability to impact Watsi's decisions, also yes. Yeah, absolutely, right? Like, I was, like, a little worried at first. I was like, you know, I, th- I thought this episode would be good. We'd get some kind of kickback from some people or whatever. It just seems like, hey, we were just just right. You know, like, I mean, and it, it's this isn't this isn't a back-patting moment, right? You know, this is a moment where we're proud to be right, but we're just happy that our idea wasn't that far off. And I'm, I'm happy that this did happen because I think for the health of the format, it is a good thing. I'm a, it's not one of those moments where I'm just like, yeah, I'm right, you know, hey, like in people's faces. Like there's no reason for that. You know what I'm uh, trying to say? Speak for yourself, Tannen. Okay, sure, sure. I'm going to be doing that. You can you can do whatever you want. You're your uh, own person. But sure. I was right. I've been calling for this for, you know, four months. Almost, yeah. Yeah, and very happy to see it happen before Indianapolis um, coming up. You know, yeah, it's only two weeks or whatever, but it's still two weeks. You've got some time. And as we were talking about in our previous show, you know, this is not going to completely destroy every single deck that used Lyris as a companion. It's not I like, don't think it's going to destroy any of them. Exactly. Honestly. And so it's not like those decks are going anywhere. You just have to spend the next two weeks, you know, fixing them up a little bit. Or if you want to and you have the, the ability to, you know, pick something else. We're, we're going to get a week of MTGO events before, you know, that you get to see and, and maybe... To, you know, get an idea of what direction the metagame is heading in before Indianapolis, and that should help you in either deciding to switch decks or uh, tune your existing one in a non-Lurus uh, world. So, yeah, you know, it's not... It, I, the If that's your primary reaction, like, this kind of stuff shouldn't happen before a tournament because it really impacts your ability to prepare, I think they've given us enough time, you know, having that weekend in advance that gives you some results and gives us, you know... A week to think about it, and then a week to you know maybe pick up some new cards uh, is good. And I would much rather play an interesting modern metagame in uh, you know Indianapolis than have to you know than have an easier time getting my deck together for that tournament. One hundred percent agree with you. In fact, this is actually my preferred way to ingest magic. Now I know there's no coverage going on that weekend, and like now I'm really no sad magic about coverage. that. I, I guess I should be the one to really <laughs> distinct that there is because I'm doing coverage that we can in that building, which is not for magic. But, you know, th- this is a tournament that I was thinking to myself. Uh, and it's, it's funny that you say it like that because I was taking a walk this morning when I saw it happening. And I was like, oh, man, I can't wait to go back and watch the VOD of this weekend. And then there was that pause. You know, the pause I'm talking yeah. about. And if like you're typing to somebody, the little, the little ellipses would come up and it just sits there for a minute. And you're like. There they are. They got it. It just took a minute, but they got it. I'm like, yeah, there's. I can't go back and watch this. But I will say this. This is my favorite way that magic happens. Like, I used to love watching the Pro Tour the few weeks after. Like, what was it, like, two weeks after the pre-release? The set hadn't really even, like, come out yet in paper that much. And the pros were having to play with it, right? And they were having to break all the new cards. And it's, it's kind of got that feeling to it, right? Like, And I used to love that. Like, hey, all these people that are, you know, super hyper competitive, here's your tournament. Here's a new format. Have fun figure it out and yeah you know i want that for the flesh and blood pro tour because there's a very good chance that we're going to have i hate using the frame the i'm sorry the phrase 
lame duck format, but we have a format that we're like, it, I think the three to four best decks have already been flushed out and we'll see what people can do. I would love to see something new and exciting for the pro tour in a couple months, but I don't think it's going to happen. But I, I, you know, I, I long for that, like shaking stuff up right before a huge event with all the best players in the world, giving them a small amount of time to cram everything into and watching how they figure it out. Uh, I did like the fact that you mentioned we do get, you know, a week of results and they're going to be some of the most heavily sought after results in magic over the last few years to see what's happened since there's no coverage to watch. And I will say this, I've seen some of the big streamers are already, you know, working on it and changing these up. Like Aspiring Spike was playing decks today with no Luris. Um, Canister 5-0'd with, uh, what was it? Canister 5-0'd with a deck today that was like, a, you know, I think it was Shadow. He 5-0'd with Shadow with no Luris and stuff. So like, again, one of the decks you talked about not going away, right? Like Shadow was good before Luris. It'll be good after Luris. I mean, you're playing a, a legacy light deck in in modern. I think Hammer Time still still a good deck, still really good. Burn. This is the funny one for me. Burn, like it has the easiest time transitioning, right? It just changes a sideboard card. It just it just adds a fifteenth card, right? Because yeah. like half the burn players weren't playing Luris for whatever reason they rationalized anyway. They're just like, yeah, I don't need it. I don't need a creature. I'm pointing <laughs> pointing spells at your face. Don't need a free card. Yeah. I don't need this to beat you, you know, kind of thing. Like they're like, I like playing with one arm behind my back, you know, kind of thing. And you know, there's there's all that stuff going on. You know, there's a there's a there's a ton of information already coming out. I, I say to take it all with a grain of salt. You're gonna see someone five zero immediately and be like, "Yep, yeah, this deck's still busted." I'm like we need a little more data points than that. We need the format to catch up. Yeah. You know, that kind of stuff. Because um, there's always the you know I'm playing against last formats of decks and beating them. And once we see in week one the decks that do well. Then you can start seeing the interesting things of, you know, how does the metagame react to the the new hotness, whether it's new tweaks on old archetypes now that they can play permanents that cost more than two mana or new archetypes that were being held down by the likes of Death Shadow and Hammer Time. So, you know, there's always different levels to these impacts and it's not just, oh, there's no Luris, so decks that had Luris get worse and decks that don't have Luris get better, you know. That's what it's happens on, on day one. one to one, right? It's yeah. not an oranges to apples thing. It's not a direct correlation. And like, I think that's, you know, that again, for people who maybe didn't listen to the last episode or saw that this happened and they're like, I'll just listen to the reaction episode instead, which I don't blame you, right? Like there's a whole episode about why this card should be banned. The card's banned. Like, yeah, <laughs> they, they got, obviously they got it right. I don't need to listen to an hour and a half of that. I can listen to the condensed version because this show is probably going to be 20, 30 minutes of our reactions to this and then we'll go even deeper into it next week when we're doing like the full indie prep show right? yeah and especially when you have more information from a first person standpoint like you talk about hey this is what my team's been looking at this is what we've been thinking stuff like that um but you know you know we talked about that like right like the, these decks i think all of them are staying in like you know a, a good way to talk about this let's talk about the decks in individually right that had lures and how they're going to change and like what you could see like when I think of uh, when I think of Hammer Time, right? I think of a few simple changes, right? I think of Nettle Sisters makes its way into the deck, which is a card I always wanted in that deck anyway, yep. right? Uh, maybe some swords in the sideboard. And you know what card jumped into my mind this morning that I kind of forgot existed, which is is it actually just busted that they're gonna play? Cauldra Complete. That card is very hard to deal with in in modern. Yeah, but they're a low land count deck, so if you just kill the Stone Forge, it's kind of hard to get the Calder complete onto the battlefield. Yeah, I, I guess so. I'm guess a little more wary of that one. I, I like yeah. the idea of, of Stone Forge always being a two for one because you can pretty easily cast the card that you find off of it. 
Yeah, we might um, see Batterskull make a comeback. We haven't seen Batterskull in a while. Yeah. You know. I could see Calder complete as a sideboard card in more removal light matchups where you need your Stoneforge Mystic just to put down a big threat and race. But in those matchups, you're probably trying to get Hammer with it anyway and kill them with Hammer. So Or, or Nettle Cyst when you need another creature, you yeah. know, that kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, lots of, the, like, Living Weapon, I think, is, is a big winner here. The, the the Living Weapon creatures that have just ceased to exist because of Luris, because you can't... I mean, I guess that you could play more in a pot, you know, with Luris, yeah. but... I, th I think Nettle Cyst is a winner. I think, you know, Murktide Regent is a winner. You yeah, and... I've seen people a... immediately try to put it into Shadow Decks and figure out how mm -hmm. to make that work, because Spike the mana is pretty awkward. Morning. Yeah, Spike was doing that this morning, he found that. I saw his mana base, I was like, that does not look great. <laughs> it's like... Yeah. Um, you know, and the one I talked about on the previous show, Season Pyromancer. I think that card, you know, the, the thing that Luris did to the decks that it was in is it allowed you to just play what looked like a very linear main deck configuration without a ton of card advantage. You know, you still saw Expressive Iteration in Shadow. You saw, uh, you know, potentially things like Ingenious Smith and Stoneforge Mystic in, uh, in Hammer Time. But your deck could be more, you know, one-for-one one centric in the main deck configuration because you knew that Luris was always sitting there to buy you a ton of card advantage if the game was going to go long. And yeah. that allowed you to more consistently have the answers for your opponent's early threats or ways to protect your threats or overload their answers if you have enough of them um, and, you know, have sort of the best of both worlds so that if your opponent did have enough to deal with your first wave or two, you had the Luris back. And if they didn't, you know, that just happened more often because you, your deck was more juiced. Now people are going to have to build their decks in ways that they naturally draw into enough card advantage to keep things going and not run out of gas. And Season Pyromancer is a great card at doing that. The other thing with Luris is that we've seen, a, we haven't seen a lot of, uh, you know, uh, a lot of removal that isn't just a one for one. It's all cheap, efficient one-for-ones as a reaction to the way people have been building their decks. If you've got more threats, then people need to play more answers. So you see Prismatic Ending, you see Unholy Heat, you see Lightning Bolt, Fatal Push, Solitude, uh, all of those things. Season Pyromancer matches up really well against all of those cards, just leaving behind some tokens or some drawing you extra cards so that when they one-for-one one your creatures, you don't really care. So th those kind of mid-rangey cards, things like, you know, Planeswalkers like Grist, Liliana of the Veil, I think is being a little overhyped. I think you're going to actually see Jun decks want to play more Grist than they will play Liliana, which also plays well with Season Pyromancer, by the way. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so, uh, you know, but the but cards like that, that are three mana value cards that and Nettlesist is, is in that group as well, you know, a, a pretty clean two for one. Our, Blood Bloodbraid Elf might make a comeback too. Talking about Jund. Yeah, yeah. Bloodbraid is, I would say, a step below some of those cards, but definitely uh, valuable. And it's a to me, it's a question now of how much of that can you afford to put in your decks? Because the more of those kinds of effects you have, the better you're going to be in the mid range mirrors. Uh, and that that's you know one of the things that Luris really warped. Like you know, in the mid range mirror, became all about stopping your opponent's Luris and setting up yours. Because everybody had their one threat and they drew it every single game, you know, that, that one sort of Planeswalker-esque cascading card advantage generating threat. Uh, and uh, that's what the game revolved around. So you didn't really play any of them in the rest of your configuration. Now it's we get to go back to that question, how many do we have? And if you have two and your opponent has four, they have an edge in that matchup 
but the more of those effects that you play, now the more vulnerable you are to linear strategies that are going underneath you, whether it's a you know hammer deck that is built to be really fast, whereas now you know previously that and up until now they've been built to be resilient, whether it's something like Infect, Storm, Belcher, you know, whatever. Or is it something that goes way over the top, like one of your favorite decks in Tron? Yeah, and like that's one of the things we talked about, right? You and I were doing our pre-show, and I was like, one of the big winners overall, right? It, at least on the surface, you're, you're talking about Jund, you're just talking about mid-range in general, right? Three drops, four drops, maybe even five drops, right? Blue-white control, Azori's control might come in and be able to like, you know, deal with this because they're not dealing with the fact that, oh, now we're both low on resources. They have this get out of jail free card in Luris, or they get to get Luris, play it, yep. accrue some value, and you're like, well, I've already killed, I've already killed all this stuff. Now I'm gonna kill it again. I can't do it, you know, kind of thing. And if if people are gonna be racing to the middle, you know, kind of thing with you know, season Pyromancer, Liliana of the Veil, you know, four mana cards, Omnath, stuff like that. I'm gonna carn you on turn three, and we're gonna we're gonna see who the real real like mid range deck is who's, who's going to go a little longer in the game you know and i mean that's one of the reasons i played the deck on the scg tour for so long i mean for so long i've, I've actually played it for a very small amount of time like you know i only played it in two events or whatever but at the time it was secretly the best deck in the format because it had good matchups across most of the field and just there was an unreal number of jun players plus here's the other thing formats like this when something this big shakes up all bets are off on what your opponents are doing. Like, do you remember the first couple opens after Bloodberry Elf and Jace got unbanned? People were doing some wild shit in the format. And I think the first one got won by a Ponza deck with Bloodberry yeah. Elf in it. Yeah, and then that deck was unplayable. Like, it's a point. And, like, you know, <laughs> it was probably playing... unplayable then, too. You know it what just I mean? won the just, tournament. <laughs> yeah, there were decks all over the place, right? And when people are playing untuned, unsound decks all over the place, or they're trying to play these, like, long games where they're top decking, you know, a, a, a range of Inquisition of Causal Leg to unplayable four mana cards that don't do a lot. You know what deck's really good in that kind of field? The deck that has Karn on turn three. That's yeah. a really, really good deck, right? And if people are still playing some of these aggro decks, you can you can make a sideboard that's pretty good against them. Burn is... Here's the one problem. Burn is a bad matchup for you, right? And if burn is going to still be popular that's a problem but that's another one of, the, one of those get underneath you linear strategies that people are going to have to contend with and Luris was a big deal against them you could just try to run the blow on resources stick a Luris for a turn gain three or six life from one or two attacks and that was game yeah and then like you know you think about stuff like hammer and if you're playing karn the great creator and a couple of the decent sideboard cards or you know a few cards interact like Walking Ballista goes a long way in that matchup. Karn the Great Creator goes a long way in that matchup. Oblivion Stone goes a really long way in that matchup, too, if you can stay alive long enough to do these things. And, you know, you've got some really good sideboard cards in that matchup because you're playing Nature's Claim as well. It's just one green mana to destroy target permanent, usually, in that matchup kind of thing. So, you know, that matchup seems pretty decent for you. I haven't played it, but I would think it's pretty decent as long as they don't, you know, have the nuts against you with, like, infect damage, maybe, you know, kind of stuff. So, we'll see. And, like... It opens up, you know, whole new things. Like you were talking about, you think Azorius Control might be able to come back and prey on stuff. The the one thing I'm worried about that, and this is uh, something I talked about with my buddy who's going to Indy because he was probably going to play Azorius Control and Pioneer. And now he's like, yeah, I had my deck geared to beat like the Luris decks in the format. You know, my, my removal suite was geared to be able to like exile stuff, deal with graveyards, stuff like that. You know, and he's like, I'm not so sure that's exactly how I want to build my deck anymore. You know, because like the, the the main decks in Pioneer right now were you know Jund, Red Black, you know the 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 prowess aggro decks that used Luris and that kind of stuff. 
do you think Jund Jund Sacrifice is a big winner in Pioneer now since it's like not losing anything? Um, yeah, you know, John Sacrifice could definitely be a big winner because there will be less people hating Sacrifice in general if Rakdos declines. Uh, though part of the reason I like Jund is because it had Karn against Rakdos. Right. But Karn is still just a good card in that deck. Um, and if you, you know, will be good in mirror matches if you need to do that. Um, so yeah, I, I would say Pioneer wise, that's a reasonable winner. Uh, yeah, Control has been very good in Pioneer. I, that said, it, when I look at Azorius Control in Pioneer, like, I'm playing March of the Otherworldly Light any like anyway. Just having yeah. a good instant speed removal spell that's versatile, yeah. especially even in an unknown metagame, like you can deal with a wide range of permanence with that card. It's the kind of card you want in your deck when you're not sure what you need to be hitting, you know? <laughs> yeah. I don't think you're gonna see as large of an impact of Luris and Pioneer just because there weren't as many, you know, dominant Luris decks. There was Racto Sacrifice, there was like Boros Heroic. Um, but they weren't really dominant in the metagame. If you read read the announcement that was written by Michael Majors, um, you know, it seemed like the the ban on Pioneer or the ban in Pioneer Vlaris, it felt a lot like when they banned Dig Through Time alongside yeah. Treasure Cruise and Modern. They're just like, we know this is going to be a problem down the road, it's exactly and how we I just want to deal with it now rather than later. We don't so, want the awkwardness of hey, we banned it in Modern, and then a month or two later, hey, now it's now it's not playable in in Pioneer. In fact, this pretty much makes the card unplayable, right? Like it's it's legal in Vintage, I think. I think is the only format it's legal in now. Pretty much a Commander. Did, did they, they unban it in Vintage when they changed the I, Companion rule? I think they unbanned it in Vintage. Yeah. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, they the, the busted part like, of it was just being able to go Lotus Loris replay yeah, Lotus. I think, I think it happened like during the pan, like in 2021, like during the part where we're yeah. all stuck at, at home and like I kind of just like forgot. But it's pretty much not playable in any format now, other than putting it in your deck in Commander. Or I guess you could have it as your companion. Yeah, I think so. I think that's still like the companion is still a rule. Um, but yeah, like the, the thing that I wanted to talk about, you know, we're kind of going to be all over the place here is this does affect people for indie, And I do feel for the people. That's that's one thing that I am like today. I'm trying not to be like pat myself on my on the back thing because it. <laughs> I knew it was coming. This buddy that I've been talking to a lot who's going to indie, uh, he just sends me a text today and it just says, awkward like right after the announcement i'm like yeah we gotta change two decks on your team now and he's like he's like yeah i work a lot of hours he's like we have one deck that's guaranteed for the event now we have two weeks and hopefully we can figure it out and i was like yep i can i'll help you in any way i possibly can even if you're missing cards let me know i'm going to indie that goes for anybody in our discord anybody listening to this if you're if you're missing cards for indie message me let me know i'm flying there i can easily put some cards into a deck box and bring it with me because i know that card availability might be a, th a thing and a problem for some people. You know, you and I talked about this on the last episode, that you and I are a little more privileged than most when it comes to the situation. And we are sympathetic to that, to that happening to people for this kind of event. You know, and I think that's where the only feel bad moment that comes out of this, this today is I feel for the people who've put in a lot of time and effort for Indianapolis already, because now the format's just 100% different. Yeah, um, I mean, I wouldn't say it's a hundred percent different. I think you know there's I mean. some. Yeah, yeah. It's not it, it, if I had to hazard a guess, you know, I think what happens is people try to find different mid range decks. That's what happens this week one, and they do pretty well in uh, online. Though you will also see some linear decks do very well, and the goal for the week after will be to refine those mid range decks further find the right sideboard cards, but then also find the right linear decks that people aren't prepared for based on just what happened to do well in these online events. 
Because, you know, as much as this is what we have to go off of, it's these seven, eight-round challenges that happen on Moto. You know, two seven-round tournaments is not enough of a sample size to be completely decisive. You know, sometimes uh, you know, it happens to just be a good player who runs a little bit hot. Um, you know, sometimes you got the right matchups or what have you. Maybe people were unprepared week one, but they will be prepared week two because, you know, people collectively forgot about a certain deck. Um, but finding the right linear decks that people are unprepared for now, because, you know, when I talked about things being you know, a lot more one-for-one heavy and threat dense in the way people built their decks because of Luris, that also helped you in linear matchups. You know, it let these mid-range decks become more, much more aggressive. And it's the more aggressively slanted mid-range decks that are better against linear strategies because they can apply pressure while disrupting them. And, uh, you know, Luris compensated you in any of the attrition-oriented matchups. So, you, point. you know, normally in Magic, you, you trade efficiency for power, right? The le- more efficient your deck is, the less powerful it's going to be on a one-card-for-card card basis. And then the less efficient it is, the more expensive your cards are, the more powerful you know, it'll be on a one-for-one one basis. But when you're able to just play so many more cards in your opponent because Luris is drawing you all these cards with Bauble and rebuying your threats, uh, then you're able to really get the best of both worlds. Now they don't have that, so they got to find that right balance that I was talking about earlier. And you know that's when, that's when holes end up getting created. And you've got to watch the metagame and see where the holes are for that weekend. So it's going to be really interesting to see what the results are this weekend and how much people react to them. And how you know, and that's what is really going to determine how I build my deck and maybe if, if, even if I change decks. So uh, ostensibly, the deck I've been playing and advocating is one that is not affected at all by the ban and should get significantly better because the the sort of combo control archetype loves playing against mid range. And that's creativity for everybody at home. Yeah. If you don't, if you haven't been keeping up with Ross recently, and what he's doing, uh, I do have a question about a certain deck in Modern and how you think it's going to perform after this. I was asking my friend this morning, what about Dredge? That's another one of those powerful linears. Yeah, if people trim on Graveyard Hate because they don't have to be dealing with all these Lurises, that could open up a good weekend for Dredge. And Dredge has sneakily gotten better as a deck in a vacuum. Uh, Otherworldly Gaze is a surprisingly strong addition. Um, I've always, I've still been surprised that they didn't include Faithful Mending, and that uh, because a lot of them are playing um, Thrilling Discovery, so they're playing white. They've they've moved over to these five color mana bases with no fetch lands. They're not playing Loam. Uh, they usually play like one Conflagrate, maybe two, along with two or three Oxes, and they do a lot of playing from their graveyard to keep things going, as opposed to having this Loam engine. And, and that has to do with the flashback and otherworldly gaze and also gaze just setting up your draw. You know, you mulligan really aggressively with dredge and there's a lot of games where you keep a four or five card hand and you just need to hit something off the top, whether it's hitting your cathartic reunion, hitting the one dredger you need or hitting that second land. Those are the three biggies. And turn one otherworldly gaze often just puts two cards in your graveyard and keeps the card that you need to draw next turn on top of your deck. Uh, and then you just don't dredge that turn and set up, and then the the next gaze can just be more of a mill card uh, to keep things going. Maybe find another dredger, maybe find the ox to uh, you know to escape and things like that. So that that deck has gotten more consistent, uh, which is one of its issues, and a little bit faster because you just have the, those turn one gaze, turn two. Uh, cathartic reunion or thrilling discovery draws more often so that's actually a sneaky good choice i hadn't thought about dredge but that could be especially if it doesn't appear this weekend 
you know, and everyone's like, oh, you know, there's, you know, some other linear deck shows up and it's not a graveyard focused one. And all the mid-range decks aren't as, as graveyard focused because they don't have Luris. Yeah, you see fewer Soul Guide Lanterns and you don't have people looping their Lanterns with their Luruses against you like they used to be able to do um, and, and things like that. You see fewer Rest in Pieces, you know. You mentioned Azorius Control, a deck that's also done reasonably well in Modern recently, and they're usually playing like Chalice and Rest in Peace because they're just so good against Lurus decks. Um, those cards probably get a little bit worse, though with a Merc tied around, maybe not. You know, We'll see how things exactly shake out. So yeah, Dredge is a, is a sneaky good one. Another one that I wanted to ask about, another blast from the past kind of thing. What about humans? Um, humans definitely benefits because people's curves are going to go up, and that'll make it easier to get underneath you. Um, Thalia might be back to being better in the format, which is a big yeah. deal. When Thalia is good, humans is good. There's still a lot of really good one mana removal, and also solitude, like all that stuff. Yeah, that's true. You know, humans play such a tempo oriented game, has such little card advantage, but. Yeah, I do think that deck gets better. Um, I wouldn't put it, you know, near the top of any of my lists, but if that deck snuck in and put up a result here or there, I, I wouldn't be that surprised. Definitely an improved archetype. Yeah, the same thing. I start, I start to have the same thoughts that you are when I go down the lines or thinking about what about Infect? And I'm like, well, there's like so many good answers to Infect now, you know, especially with the incarnations, you know, Fury, uh, the white one as, as well. Um, why did I just blank on that name? You literally just said it uh solitude solitude yeah thank you i don't know what just happened there my brain is hurting from having to learn all the flesh and blood cards i apologize but yeah solitude and stuff that just you know kind of really hurts those kind of decks quite a bit so yeah like maybe maybe not but like dredge is one of the ones that stood out to me today you know tron is decks that like we haven't seen in a while or haven't really been putting up the results that we were used to say like two years ago three years ago before luris got printed and then i think you're gonna still see some of the same old you know, same old decks that we saw before, right? You're still going to see these decks that, you know, you're still going to get hammered, right? And then how, how do you feel about, like, what do they call the deck? Money Pile? You know, the, the four-color Omnath mid-range just really good cards deck? How do you feel about those cards now? Uh, I still think that now? deck is just worse than Creativity, but it is another deck that gets better. You know, it, it should be a deck that is reasonably favored uh, against mid-range decks, though. Honestly... Maybe, well, yeah, like, I mean, they, they lose Lurus. So, yeah, it's got to be, like, that deck has to improve. Uh, and I know people are, you know, a lot of people have, have argued to take away the companion mechanic as a whole. And Yorin is certainly the next best companion if you want to keep abusing that mechanic uh, moving forward. So, uh, you know, it's got to be a winner to me, but I, I just have such a sour taste in my mouth for that deck. I, I, it's just not better than Creativity. And it's yeah, just worse in almost every conceivable way, mm. especially now that decks are going to slow down a little. I think one of the benefits that deck had was the the elementals and the incarnations let you not fall behind as readily, and right, that's one of the right. ways that creativity can you know get punished. It's a it's a little bit clunkier of a deck, but it catches up with its combo. Um, now, like you're not going to get punished as much because decks are going to have to be you know, uh, extend their curves and be a little yeah. bit less aggressive. So, you know, while I do think that the money pile deck improves relative to the metagame, my major problem with it in that I think it's just a worse deck at doing very similar things to creativity, that problem actually gets exacerbated. So uh, still not a fan. A couple of cards have come to mind when I started thinking about how I think this format's going to be. I started to think about, am I going to want something like Remand again? 
in creativity. If if people are starting to cast three mana cards, four mana cards, Reman might be a card I want in my deck yet again. It's still pretty yep. good against Azorius Control, trying to cast these three, four, and five mana you know, I cards. Get, I get 100% buy that. I've not yeah. been a fan of Reman, and that is largely driven by Luris. Uh, I had another good one, and I just lost it. My brain is fried today. I spent a lot of time out in the sun. But yeah, there's a couple other cards that, you know, like that from the past, you know, you, th- you talked about, like, these were good or, like, were really good in the past, and, like, they haven't been, you know, anything else standing out to you that, like, we might need to revisit with the way that stuff's going? So my deck that I think is going to do well week like this weekend, week one, no Luris, is actually Jund Saga. This is a deck that has had significant success and is a Luris a deck. So on the surface, it can be easy to say, oh, that deck gets a lot worse. But what you have to realize now is that one of the reasons I think that deck faded was because its strength is in that late game engine with Looping Saga with Renin 6. And that kind of late game strength was unnecessary in the Luris metagame and was generally just worse than using Luris, especially because every deck had, you know, several answers to a swarm of constructs. You know, once people figured out dress down in their uh, um, in their shadow decks, a card that you can even bring back with Luris, um, you know, it just got harder to trump the late game with that strategy. Uh, but now you need to incorporate these late game plans into your deck again and John Saga already has it wrapped up. It's there. And your that plan gets better because they can't rebuy their dress downs with Luris. So when you force them to use a dress down early because we played a Saga in the early game and it was very threatening, suddenly when you start looping them, they can't set up one big turn where they deal with three or four constructs at once and make a big attack. That's just not, you know, maybe, you know, if they rip a dress down, some, sometimes that'll happen. But it will happen significantly less often than it used to. And that's the point, you know, magic isn't a game about going from this is a threat and no longer is a threat that I care about. It's I lose to this 80% of the time. Now I only lose to it 60% of the time or I lost to it 60. Now I only lose to it 50. You know, it's changes like that that make all the difference. So and and that's a change that I think automatically happens just as a result of the ban. Uh, You know, you can make some subtle adjustments. I think both Season Pyromancer and Grist are fine additions to that deck if you want to play them. But you don't even have to. You could keep that deck largely the same, uh, and you still have a really powerful card advantage engine going along to keep you in those mid-range mirrors, even as everyone else is raising your curve, and you still get to be very lean. So that, to me, is the best mid-range deck. I know everybody's trying to figure out how to put Merktide in their shadow decks and do things like that. Uh, maybe blend shadow with, with is it. Uh, in, in different ways. I'm not a big fan of going that route because I don't like blending counter spells and discard spells. Um, I think that, but I think Jund looks good. I just think a lot of people are going to try to build Jund like it's 2018 and, and put too many expensive cards in their deck when this Saga Ren engine is incredibly powerful and you get to play like a Beseju in your main deck and, you know, do cool things like that. Maybe play it. Maybe you would play one cycling land, you know, that, that yeah, seems reasonable to me. Probably goes yeah. up a little bit just in yeah you know, exactly like, like just leverage the, the power of yeah. ren and six as a card advantage card advantage engine and you you keep a lot of that lean aggressive capability that you used to have so if you're a mid-range player and you're trying to figure out like you know what's the best mid-range deck in a post laris world jund saga is where i would look immediately um and then there's a you know a question of how do we you know combat jund saga relative to grixis shadow if that does come to fruition in you know, when I start hearing this, I hear, you know, Jund, Jund Saga, Shadow, uh, these blue-white control decks, some of these decks that are going to be popular. 
I start wondering, is Vale of Summer going to start coming back as like three of and four of in some of these sideboards? Is that a card that's going to start, you know, it's it's almost like it's it's been waning for sure in its play lately. I've seen it a little bit less than I, than I was used to. Over the long term, I think that's true. I think you started to see Vales pop up a little bit more in the last four weeks or so right, because right. of just how uh, consistently, uh, you know, at the top, Grixis Shadow was, and Vale is great against Shadow because they have both counter spells and discard spells, and they were incorporating some Fatal Pushes as black removal. Um, you know, one of the big reasons that we didn't see as many uh, Vales, you know, maybe six months ago in that post uh, immediate post MH2 metagame was because of the decline of Fatal Push. You know, when it was just your discard spell or your counter spell that I, that I beat with the veil, it wasn't nearly as devastating. When I could also tag your removal spell in addition to one or the other, it looked a lot better. So, uh, to me, it's going to be about how good does Fatal Push look in the post Luris metagame, and honestly, it probably looks worse. <laughs> Yeah, maybe, actually, when you're kind of going down the... It's one of those things where you get, you get excited about something, and then you go down all the talk through it, you're like, okay, maybe I was actually opposite. It was inversed. I was wrong. Um, you want to know another deck that kind of popped up into my head besides Dredge that I was like, maybe it's time to start revisiting this deck? Uh, what do you think about Urza? Um, yeah, I know uh, Ely did pretty well with an Urza deck, the Envy in October. Sort of, it was like an Azorius one with Esper Sentinels and stuff. Um... You know, obviously, like thought there are people who play thought monitor kind of decks. Yeah, that whole archetype I think gets a lot better in a post Luris world. I d- um, Gala added a lot of artifacts and stuff too. Yeah, like yeah, Moonsnare prototype and, and things. Stuff, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I would definitely look into those. I could see those, you know, rising and becoming a major player. Um, I'd be a little bit worried playing those decks against the extremes that we talked about, the Trons of the world and like the Burns of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like those decks in the mid-range mirrors, so it's a question of how mid-range heavy the metagame is. Exactly. Um, b- uh, but in that kind of metagame, I really like them. And if you can find a way, even just to be good against either half or reasonable against both halves uh, right. of the, the really small decks or the really big decks, then I like those decks quite a bit. So that's the puzzle if you're if you're trying to play those kinds of Urza decks. But yeah, that, that's a you know, that's another really strong four mana permanent. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right. And so like that's what I've been thinking of. Like that's what I'm trying to get in my head. Like, what are the three and four mana cards that we haven't seen, either haven't seen in a while, or that since, you know, they got printed after Luris. You know, and then you have the ones that were there already, right? Like you have Omnath, like we mentioned, but stuff like, you know, Urza, Liliana the Veil. You said maybe it's a little too pumped up, but we'll see. I really like your idea of Grist. Um, I actually did uh, coverage for the NRG event this weekend, and Yogmoth was destroying the event. It actually, excuse me, it actually won the event. And then watching the games, I watched them just beat the crap out of people. And the player was up to three Grists in their deck. I remember originally it used to be like a one of in the deck because yeah. you, know, you could tutor for it. But now you actually just want to draw the card too. It's just really good in a lot of the matchups. The fact that it kills planeswalkers, kills creatures, creates value as well. Plus, if you get any extra value of putting things from your deck into your graveyard, whether like it's said, Delirium or Croxa, uh, Renin Six, like it just mills a card, right? And like if you're playing it in Jund, like I'm assuming you're going to be playing at least one or two value lands. You you know you mentioned it. You're going to be playing a Besaidu. You might be playing you know one of the the cycle lands. In fact, cycle we're getting, land. You'll we're probably definitely play nurturing peatland. They're gonna play the. They're gonna play at least like I think one of the John cycle land when uh, that's, that's been pre the John trial. 
The Gen Triome, sorry, yeah. The Gen Triome, the, um, the wrestling ring. Yeah, they're not actually called Triomes this time, which is sure. really frustrating. But Whatever they're called from New Caprica or whatever it's called. Yeah. I think New Caprica is actually a reference New to Capenna. Battlestar. Yeah, I think I just made the, I just said the, the Battlestar Galactica yeah, prequel Caprica's, TV show. Okay, yeah. my inner nerd is showing. But anyway, by the way, Battlestar Galactica, great show. Um, but yeah, like, you know, you know, we'll see some some variation down the line when those cards come out, but we were a couple of months away from that, so... I think that's a pretty good cover of like what we think are the you know the winners, the losers. You know, obviously we can't cover everything. You know, we mentioned a few specific cards. Give us a little while. You know, this is we're recording this what Monday at four forty-five p.m. for me, so five forty-five p.m. for Ross. Um, hopefully, we can get this out as soon as possible. Uh, hopefully, Brent's not busy because this is going to be a short show because we're almost done. But look for our next one to be talking all about Indianapolis. What you can expect, uh, what decks you're going to see. It's going to be a sweet and fun conversation, right? Because two of the three formats just got drastically changed going yeah. into that event. Hopefully, uh, you can share as much as you want. You know, obviously, I'm not going to ask you to, to you know sure to say what decks your teams are playing, but you know, hopefully, you just won't care. You we know. also might not have them decided yet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. So we'll try to do it. Um, you know, I fly out Friday of next week for Indianapolis. Is it next week now? Jeez, uh, really that yeah. close? And wow. I, I fly out Thursday, so we have to do it early in the week. Yeah, so do a little earlier in the week. We'll try to do wait if we can, like Tuesday, Wednesday, if we can, to try to get as much information. But we'll get that weekend's information, and that's what's yeah. important, right? You know, we'll have some challenges. Yeah, you, you've heard me and, and Tana talk about how many different ways this could play out in, and a lot of the next week's episode is going to be us seeing what happened week one and saying, okay, and this is the direction I think it's heading in of the various possibilities that we're theorizing right now. Absolutely. So hopefully you enjoyed this uh kind of freeform live reaction to the banning today. Uh, kind of interesting that, you know, we, we got to have the last couple shows lead up to this and that it happened. So we look kind of prophetic. It's kind of nice. You know, it's, it's, it's nice to seem smart, Ross. You always seem so smart all the time. I don't get to feel this very often, so I'm kind of glad and happy that this happened for me. Yeah. I feel the good. key is using big words that people don't understand, and even mm-hmm. that means even if you misuse them, nobody knows. Yeah, you just say them with uh, gusto, right? You yeah, say with them conviction. with force. Yeah, con- yeah, there we go. You say them with conviction, and then people will never question you. Yeah. Yep. Like, hey, yeah. Okay. That, yeah. That's. Yeah. That's got to be right. Like, it like, it also so helps sure. if you've been on Jeopardy, then people tend to believe. Yes. You. Exactly. Right. So I would. I would recommend that. Uh, I will leave us with one thing before we go. Uh, I had a great Twitter reaction uh, that today with one of my favorite people, especially with how they react to the podcast. And that's Lee McLeod, you know, one of both our favorites. And uh, it was somebody like had tweeted, I'm listening to the MTG Rants podcast talking about how Lurish should be banned in modern as I'm reading the, the, the <laughs> banned and restricted announcement this morning that Lurish, that Lurish is banned. And Lee just goes, hey, Tannen, thanks for this. Try to use your powers responsibly. So <laughs> let me know what card you want banned next in uh, Magic the Gathering, and Ross and I will oh, get right on knowing it. Knowing Lee, it will be Stony Silence, <laughs> Force of Vigor. <laughs> oh, definitely. It's definitely Force of Vigor. Yeah. yeah. He could beat a Stony Silence. Can, I don't think he could beat a Force of Vigor. So, uh, But Lee, we love you. Thanks for listening to the show, as always. And everybody at home, thanks for listening, too. Uh, next episode, probably some cool announcements as well. So yeah. uh, be on the lookout for that. But hope you enjoyed this episode, and we'll see you all next week with a a big full episode really digesting what's going on and Ross and I are probably pretty excited about it. So thanks for listening. We'll see y'all soon.